But yeah, I guess Here whenever. You ready? I'm, I'm ready. You ready to roll? I'm ready anytime. Two, two, two rowdy vegans. 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 Two, two rowdy vegans. One plus one equals two rowdy vegans. Well, we want to welcome y'all to. Two. Two. Rowdy. Two. Rowdy. Rowdy vegans. Two rowdy vegans. That's us right here. We're the two rowdy vegans, and we are going to um, talk to, to you today about uh, a few things, our stories. Yeah, and uh, we're actually here at Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, which is your sanctuary. So for the two people who are listening right now who don't know, <laughs> Renee is the founder of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, a cattle ranch. <laughs> I couldn't find the word for a second. Cattle ranch turns into a vegan sanctuary. So how did this come about? Well, you know, I'm asked that question all the time. How did a cattle ranch become a sanctuary? Like I just told you a while ago, I'm getting ready to be interviewed by some guy named Doug Stefan that um, has dairy cows and a radio show that really uh, amplifies the message of the American family farmer, those locavores that buy their food from the local market, which means they kill them themselves, milk them themselves, make their own cheese and stuff, right? I'm gonna be interviewed by this guy. That just blows my mind because he has to know. I mean, the, the, the title of the story that came in my email was he wants to know how we became a sanctuary mm -hmm. from first becoming being a cattle ranch. Mm -hmm. So he knows that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just really interesting. It almost makes me wonder what in the world is really going on with this guy. But um, anyway, to answer your question, uh, we became a sanctuary much, much later. Uh, I moved in here to the ranch in 2009. 2010, um, me and Tommy got married. And, you know, Tommy had acquired this ranch somewhere in 2001 or 2002 picked up the baton of his ancestors. And Tommy's ranching history goes back into the 1800s, the late 1800s. His uh, great-grandpa used to actually herd animals from San Antonio to Houston, where they had a big slaughterhouse in Houston and also in Alvin. So my, husband, my husband's heritage comes from that. Uh, his grandpa was also uh, a cattle rancher in Alvin. Tommy's dad started working for Dow Chemical, but helped out on the ranch all the time, you know, on his uh, dad's ranch. Uh, so, so the ranching, you know, even though Tommy's dad didn't own technically his own ranch, he helped out all the time on the ranch. Tommy, however, skipped the generation. He went on to work for Dow Chemical, um, worked there almost 40 years. But Tommy was always around ranching. He was always around it. He was always leasing land from ranchers because Tommy was a, you know, a big hunter. You know, he used to hunt deer, um, elk, you know, all kind of, you know, you know, wild game like that. I mean, not the tigers and lions and bears and stuff, but Tommy was always, you know, about the wild hogs and, you know, all that stuff, you know, all kind of exotic uh, game. And so anyway, uh, Tommy was always around the farmers, but uh, never had his own ranch until he decided he wanted to buy this place as a retirement investment and pick up, you know, where his grandpa had left off. 
And so Tommy did that. You know, Tommy worked uh, really, really hard working for Dow. And, you know, if he wasn't working for Dow, he was working here from sunup to sundown, that man worked. And um, he was uh, really wanting this to be uh, a retirement, you know, investment for him. You know, he thought he envisioned himself retiring from Dow Chemical, having this place, uh, you know, pay the taxes, pay all the balloon notes that would come due on the tractors. You know, uh, have the cows being paid for by, you know, the hay he sold. I mean, he really had it all figured out until I went vegan. And so... <laughs> he had no idea what he was getting himself into. He had no idea. I didn't either. I mean, you know, the thing is, I, for four years, I watched that red trailer leave out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, that red trailer, um, first time it happened, you know, I wasn't prepared for the gut-wrenching emotional trauma that ensued but I watched my husband and his partner Robert load up that red trailer over a several day period and when the babies finally got all loaded up in there and they were they were um, secured in the trailer and they were trusting of the situation because at first they weren't very trusting of it you know they go in and they would want to come back out but after a few days the calves become you know, they feel like, okay, it's going to be all right. Nobody's doing anything to me. I'm going to go on in here and eat some sweet feed. So after six or seven of those calves were in there, the gate would, um, you know, would close and slam shut on them. And um, they would be taken off down to the cell barn, never to see their moms again. Um, moms never to see them again. And, you know, when it first happened, uh, I was just stunned. But... I'm not supposed to feel anything about that. Mm. You know, we're not supposed to feel that, even though it's very emotional. Uh, to block that kind of feeling out requires a lot of, uh, uh, it just causes you to really harden your heart, I think, if, to really block that out, to not feel that, to compartmentalize, you know, our lives in such a way where we don't feel the emotional bond between a mother and their children and you know my mother for instance when I say when I call them calves out their children she'll say we're well, no they're not children you know they're they're baby cows they're baby cats they're not children I said yeah they're children but see to hear that means she has to have an emotional connection because mm -hmm. they're children so it's it's just very interesting to me the the links we have gone to not feel that connection and so it took me four years of um, feeling this deeply I just really couldn't do anything about it because I've been married to my husband for the second time we were uh, committed to this relationship didn't think anything could ever bust it up again and uh, then I went vegan and uh, it was threatening the very core of our marriage because uh, I was betraying actually betraying my husband's tradition and his culture. Yeah, tell me about when you went vegan. How was that from going from feeling those emotions where you saw the red trailer go away and you felt that? What were the steps that you took to go from feeling that to becoming vegan? Because like we talked about yesterday, when you're in this community, mm -hmm. you're, you were basically in a community where veganism is non-existent, <laughs> essentially, where no one is vegan, right. where it's such a foreign thing. And I know that there are many people who are in such a situation when they're in a place where, you know, they might have gone vegan themselves, but there, because there's so many people who message me where they're like, well, you know, 
I'm vegan, but no one around me is vegan. Like I'm all alone. Right. So how was that for you? Like, how did you find community and find the strength or the courage or whatever it is that you found to go vegan? Well, I started um, getting online. You know, it took me, like I said, four years of uh, watching this happen over and over and over with this with the red trailer to finally uh, get to the point to where I was challenging my husband, asking him lots of questions, and you know the humane meat thing. You know, why didn't we eat our own animals? To you know, instead of buying the milk and cheese and all that from the grocery store, we started getting our milk and cheese from a local dairy. And so I was, I was challenging my husband in many ways, you know, and I kept pushing the envelope so that I could ethically feel okay mm. with consuming animal products. Mm. Um, and I never could feel ethical about it. You know, I'd try for a while, but I, I just kept finding other things that, that led me to the next story that was, which eventually led me to my vegan conclusion. I see. And so the girl named Jeannie, mm -hmm. I stumbled upon a, um, I was, um, well, I had watched that Melanie Joy um, little documentary. Mm -hmm. Like I said, everything had kind of led up to uh, me and my husband fighting all the time. And I had stumbled across that Melanie Joy video after I was watching all these slaughterhouse videos. And the Melanie Joy video was so profound because I guess I was perfectly ripe. I was ripe to the point to where that message shook me up, you know, because they talk about eating, eating that pot of beef stew, you know, and they're enjoying this beef stew. Everybody's just going on and on about it. And somebody says, you know, what's in, what's the recipe? And she says, well, you start off with a pound of very young golden retriever. Well, I was just ripe enough to just be shocked that, you know, they're eating this stew, but they were eating a golden retriever puppy. And then she says, just kidding, it's really cow meat. And because of the, the recollection of that was so stark, um, they, couldn't, they couldn't resume eating because the recollection of the baby retriever was still in their mind. And I just, you know, that really shook me up. And then what really shook me up is the night I went vegan. Uh, it was October 30th, the night I went vegan. My first full day being vegan was on Halloween. Uh, but October 30th, 2014, I went to my mother-in-law's and she was serving beef stew. And it was a big, it was a big Halloween event. It was a lot of kids, a lot of hoopla. Uh, kids were in their costumes, waiting on the big parade. And everybody was talking, and my mother-in-law brings out this pot of beef stew. And it was as if the world stood still for me. Um, I, I couldn't eat it. And I said it, you know. I just said, I can't eat that. And my mother-in-law says, why not, Renee? And I said, because. It's got floating, dead, hacked-up animal bodies in it. And it did. And I had never said that. And everybody in the room stopped talking. It was like, as if I had said... It was as if I'd cussed my mother-in-law out. Everybody looked at me with their mouth open like, oh, what did you just say? <laughs> and I was, you know, and I repeated myself. Mm. And they were like, oh my, I can, I will never forget the look on my sister-in-law's face. I mean, she just curled up her nose like, floating good, hacked up animal bodies. Oh my God, you know. And um, my mother-in-law said, well, Renee, you can pick it out. 
And I said, no, ma'am, there's no more picking it out for me. And that was the moment of uh, true awakening for me when I knew I would not pick it out. I wouldn't eat, you know, uh, a beef stew, take out the meat and eat the broth with the potatoes and the carrots. I wouldn't do that. Uh, that was it. I couldn't eat that. So, you know, from that moment on, I started looking. And that's how I met my friend Jeannie Westfall. Uh, Jeannie Westfall, I was looking on um, uh, the Global Registry of Vegans. As soon as I decided I was going vegan, it was on. And I was looking at vegan everything. But before that, I was scared to look at vegan stuff. I would look at the research about how the cows were being treated, but the very thought of going, the very thought of even thinking about being vegan was, it was like the Antichrist. You know, you don't think about being vegan if you're a cattle rancher. You don't even, I mean, you don't consider that. That's totally the antithesis of being a rancher. It doesn't even make sense, you know? Um, and so the more I think about this uh, and the more I ponder it and I'm interviewed and ask questions about it, the more real it becomes to me that the reason why I really, it took me so long to go vegan is because I wouldn't even consider it. It was, I was having the feelings and the emotions of seeing the babies go to the cell barn and the mom was crying every night until they lost their voice. I was having all these feelings, but it, I didn't say, I'm feeling this way, so by God, I'm going vegan. No, I never, you know, I just could not, I was wrestling with this heartache. You know, I was just wrestling with this heartache and feeling completely helpless. So you were just thinking, I'm feeling this, but I'm just gonna deal with the feelings. Is that yeah, what you were thinking? Yeah, that's it. There's nothing I can do about it, you know? Hmm. I didn't even think about whether I could go vegan or not. I mean, you know, it just doesn't register to do that. I just registered that I was just more and more depressed. Wow. And so since you've made that transition and you transformed the ranch into a sanctuary, now when you speak to other cattle ranchers or cattle ranchers' wives and you tell them your story, how do they react? Well, they react, uh, normally what happens is they contact me because they've heard about us. Mm. And so they're normally contacting us because they too are having some sort of uh, moment they're feeling something and they never talk about it when I didn't either I never talked about it you know but now there's somebody to talk to and so they're talking to me about it they want to know more um, you know they want to know how they can make a living if they're not doing this how do we make a living you know I never really intended to do this so I didn't have a business plan for this, I mean, we're a nonprofit. Um, I use a lot of my skills in fundraising to to do what we've done, you know, and event planning, to have events, and so that's you know how we how that's mostly how we've done it is uh, through you know memberships and but you know so ranchers wives will ask me those questions, you know, how do you how do you make a living? I mean, we you know we we plan on. Um, helping ranchers, you know, transition from uh, farming animals to uh, wind farms, solar farms, veganic farming in our rancher advocacy program. So the rancher advocacy program is a direct result of conversations I've had with rancher families because I know that's what they need. And it occurred to me in this whole process that not every rancher's wife is going to have the same skills I have. They're not going to want to uh, have a, a non-profit, you know, in, in a sanctuary. There, some of them won't want to do that. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone. And 
So we needed to figure out how to um, teach them how to do something different other than mm -hmm. animals mm -hmm. for a living. It's interesting what you were saying about how that's what they need and how you were talking earlier about how you didn't even consider being vegan. Because one thing that I'm, co I'm covering more and more as I spend time with you and I hear stories from you about other cattle ranchers or cattle ranchers' wives or people who have been, for example, in uh, the FFA programs who develop feelings for their animals and they don't do anything about it. And I think it's interesting because oftentimes it's easy to look at people in the industry, cattle ranchers, or people who, just, who have anything to do with the animal agriculture industry and we think that they're heartless people but there are so many people in those circles who develop feelings for animals. And you told me once that that's also the reason that cattle ranchers become cattle ranchers because they love animals and so they want to work with animals, which makes sense to me because as a kid, I remember wanting to do all these things with animals. I remember being like, you know what would be cool? I want to be a zookeeper. I thought, I thought about that. I even played this video game on my computer called Zoo Tycoon, which is a game where you build a zoo. Wow. And I thought I did that because I loved animals and I remember I want to be a National Geographic photographer I went to the zoo to take photos of the animals I tried to make it look like there were wild animals because I didn't want to see the cages and the enclosures and stuff like that which is interesting because now if I went there I would make it look like they are in right. cages because that's what it is right you'd want them to see that but you know I want to do that I even wanted to be a dolphin trainer I went to these SeaWorld shows and wow. these kinds of you know like with dolphins and orcas or whatever it is that I saw and I was like I want to be that person playing with a dolphin because when you don't have that perspective it looks like they're having fun right and I guess that's what happens everywhere whether it be for, for me in my case like zoos and shows but for cattle ranchers it seems like well by, by raising cattle you do that because you love the cattle and it seems like society has constructed this narrative where it's unavoidable for example in the case of a cattle ranch that the cows are going to get killed at the end yeah. or you know, we don't think about this, but saying shows, we don't think about it from the animal's perspective. We're like, this is how we build a friendship with an animal. And I think it's interesting because the same feelings that you were having, when I think about my story, I had these feelings too. As a kid, I remember loving animals so much. I always loved animals. There was this dog in Singapore, his name was Simba, and I loved that dog so much. More than any other being in the world. I just love that dog so, so, Aww. so much. And when I would go to Singapore, I would look forward to seeing Simba, and then I would be so sad to leave him when I left. And, you know, I just really loved him. And I remember in the house, there were a lot of other animals as well. So my uncle likes to keep animals. And there were birds, there was a tortoise, there was an iguana, there were cats. There were just like a lot of different animals. Wow. And it's interesting because in my mind back then, I looked at all these animals and I was like, oh, I love them. This is so awesome that they're all here. But at the same time, I remember very distinctly feeling bad for all the animals who were in cages. The dogs and the cats were out, but all the birds were in tiny cages. Mm. And that's how they lived their entire lives. Mm. I remember going with my uncle to the bird shop to get more birds. And we would pick, up, pick out a bird and then get a cage and then put the bird in the cage. And... It, it was it was interesting because at the same time I was like I love animals this is awesome but at the same time I kind of felt bad for the animals yeah and I, I'm sure I felt that I'm sure I also felt this was all in Singapore for some reason but we went fishing and I didn't like fish I didn't like the idea of fishing you didn't not not at all ah because I would have to kill a fish 
why would, I don't want to kill a fish. I didn't even want to kill the insect that you put as bait. Right. I didn't want to kill any of that. I, I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyways. And I remember feeling that, but not doing anything about it. Right. I remember the most powerful one was being by a river in Japan and we were eating grilled fish, like fresh grilled fish. And I saw the man preparing it, take a stick and stuff it down a live fish's throat. Mm. And the fish was just flailing. Oh and then you put God. the fish on the grill to grill alive. And I witnessed that and I told my parents, I remember, I was like, I feel so bad for that fish. Oh my God, I know. I felt so, I, it really hurt me to see that. But that being the case, I still ate the fish. Right. And actually, I think I ate a second fish that day who went through the same thing. And it's similar to what you were saying earlier because I was having those feelings where I was like, this is wrong. But it didn't even occur to me that as a solution, I could not eat that. Yeah, you don't think about it. I you, just didn't think about it. You know, it's like there's this, the solution to not do it is, is not even registering. And so what I felt instead was a deeper sense of disconnect. Uh, a depressed, you know, I was depressed and became more and more withdrawn. Um, but I still kept eating the animals. Yeah, because I did that too for many, many years. And I mean, it, it's crazy because the more I think about it, the more layers of disconnection I personally see. Yeah. For example, that night that I went to the zoo to take photos of the animals, I went home and on the way home I had fried chicken. And See, because for example, at the time, it would occur to me that, say I would go to the zoos and it would be kind of weird that the animals were in cages. I would feel kind of bad about that. Or I would feel kind of bad about the birds in our house. Or I would feel bad about fishing. But when I ate fried chicken, it didn't even occur to me at all. Wow. Not at all. Like not once did I think this is the dead, dismembered body of an animal who is just like the animals I've seen at the zoo, who are just like the birds at my house. Like, feel kind of bad that they're in cages, but it, it never occurred to me. And you know what's interesting too? I've spoken to some people who have told me that the moment they went vegan or vegetarian, depending on their story, is when they realized that what they were eating were dead animals. Wow. And I've heard stories of people who when they were kids, they would eat chicken, but they never realized that the chicken was a chicken. Yeah, that's strange. Tommy, uh, Tommy's told me stories like that about people. That was never the case for me. I knew they were dead animals, but always, you know, thought that that's just the way it was. You know, you don't think about it, you eat it. And I remember the first time I came home here, uh, you know, because Chick-fil-A was always one of my very favorite restaurants. I love those Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I could eat two of them in hell. And I remember coming home with my Chick-fil-A sandwich bag and the chickens that we had here, you know, were at my feet. And that was the first time I remember thinking, wow, I could be eating, you know, your kinfolk. I could be eating you if you weren't here. I mean, I, I, for the first time, I remember connecting the dots to the chicken sandwich in the bag and the chickens at my feet. I mean, I knew they were dead animals, but we disconnect ourselves from animals that we eat and we're not supposed to, you know, have relationships with, you know, animals on a farm so that we can eat those sandwiches and those steaks and hamburgers. As long as we're not noticing them, having any awareness that they're sentient, uh, you know, we can eat it with impunity. Mm -hmm. But 
Yeah. Yeah, and one thing I invite everyone to do is to go to a sanctuary because when you go to a sanctuary, you get to meet the animals and you get to really make that connection. For me, the first time that I actually met chickens and cows and pigs was actually way after I went vegan and I went to a sanctuary. Ah. That's when I met them. I didn't grow up around them at all. But one day I saw that the way they were treated was completely horrible. Then I went vegan. Then I realized that we shouldn't be explaining them at all. But I never met them. But then when I met them, the connection became so much stronger. Because you tell a story about how uh, you were working on one of the chicken's legs. And I had this moment at a sanctuary near Los Angeles where I was holding a chicken and I was petting her breast. And I remembered how I used to eat chicken breast. And that is something that I've never felt before because I've never met them. Right. And by meeting that chicken, I could feel that she was alive. Yeah. I could feel that she had a heartbeat. Her body was warm. Like she was moving around, she was chirping. And I was like, I used to eat this? Yeah. An actual living being? Except they got their heads, their heads cut off, their, you know, their throats were slit, their heads cut off, their they're dipped and dunked into scalding water and they're defeathered and you know I remember you know working on Dixie Chick and you know feeling of her little leg and I used to love drumsticks and wings that was uh, my favorite and I remember feeling the leg and where the foot came down to where the nub of the drumstick was and I thought to myself wow that's where the drumstick the part I used to always hold and I used to chew on this part of the leg it was so disgusting to me when I really really started putting the two and two together you know but we're not supposed to do that we're not supposed to do that and everything around us as we grow up tells us that we're not supposed to do that and it teaches us the opposite and now the more and more I become aware when I go to places like grocery stores I always take a look at milk cartons or the, the packages on, on eggs. And you see that the way they portray oh, dairy nice. farms or egg farms or any farm is green pastures, blue skies, happy animals. I mean, that slaughterhouse that we go to in Los Angeles, the mural of that slaughterhouse is a happy oh, I've farm. I've seen it. Yeah. And everything around us tells that for some reason. Like, I, I don't know, like I, when I grew up, that's the image of a farm I had. I'm not even sure why, but I guess it must be because everything, everything. around us tells us that and on top of that we create our own stories and then we perpetuate them ourselves well old mcdonald had a farm e-i-e-i-o i mean we we sing these jolly tunes when we're kids you know about old mcdonald's farm and you know with a quack quack here and a quack quack there with a moo moo there and a moo moo here here a moo there a moo everywhere a moo moo no everywhere blood blood you know that's what's really happening yeah it's, you know no the, the the song is not like that at all the real mm. tune should be much different yeah and so because there are so many things in place right now which by the way it's interesting because you can look at it a couple different ways you can look at this as people are intentionally doing this which is partly true probably but also if you study sociology what sociologists say about systems and society is that When a certain system is in place, the people don't have to be conscious of it and they don't have to support it to perpetuate it. Ah, For example... Say that one more time. I think everybody needs to hear that. I'll I'll give you an example. Yeah. Take something like racism. Racism is real. It exists. Exactly. Clearly, by results. By the way that society creates results, uh, racism exists. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean 
that people wake up being like, I am racist. Exactly. But they might engage in racist behavior. In fact, they'll even say they're not racist. They'll say they're not racist, yeah. but they'll engage in racist behavior. It's not because they have bad intentions consciously, but it's because society has normalized a certain type of behavior. Yep. For example, you can see that in sexism, where if you look at media or like older media, things are changing now little by little, which is incredible. If you look at the way that men treat women, because we grow up around that kind of media and around that kind of environment, we learn that that's normal. And so people can very easily do that behavior without the bad intentions behind it. Exactly. And I think with what's happening now to animals, it's very similar yes. where most people, it's not that they're bad people consuming animals, it's that they're indifferent. The, the author of the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind brilliantly describes this where he says that, well, for a long time in history, horrible things happened because of negative emotions like hatred. For example, wars were fought over religion, over let's exterminate you. That was the motive behind the war. Yeah. But with the way that we're extermin exterminating billions of animals today, most people who are supporting that, who, by the way, most people are the consumers. Right. The, the billions of consumers around the world who eat animal products, that's who's supporting those industries. They're not thinking, let's kill all these animals. That's right. not at all their motive. They're indifferent and they're just disconnected. And I truly believe that at our core as people, we're good people. Yeah, I do too. And that every time I've seen a child hang out with animals, they've always loved animals. Exactly. And no one wants to harm an animal. So when you look at like ranchers, people who own feedlots, it's very easy to paint them as the villain. It is. Because we say that, oh, but they know and they're still doing it. But I believe that there are so many layers of things going on in society that creates that disconnect. Oh, there is. That it's not that they have bad intentions, but it's very similar to how you and I felt those emotions, but we didn't even think of that solution. Because well, you remember that? Did, did you ever watch the um, the weekly show Dallas? No. You know, it was, uh, you know, they, the big rancher, I think, I forget what his name was, JD or something. But anyway, he's the big, you know, you're always imagining these ranchers, wealthy, you know, owning thousands of acres, you know, generations deep, you know, multi-generational, four, five, six, seven, eight generations. And they're and they're considered to be, you know, very wealthy and upstanding citizens. People want to model them, be like them. Their kids are supposed to, you know, inherit the ranch and do the same thing their dads did. So the whole idea about this ranching culture is so roman romanticized. Mm. It's normalized to the point of, well, like we talk about normalized violence. It's a normalized violent industry. And what, you know, and, and what it what we're supposed to see is this romance romance novel, basically. We're supposed to see this uh, this beautiful landscape of all these cows just, you know, grazing on the grass and the kid over there milking a cow, you know, and squirting one tit over at the little kitty cat. And, you know, that this is, uh, you know, the American way. No, and so, you know, what, what, what's really what's happening has nothing to do with what we're seeing, with mm -hmm. what we think we're seeing, what's mm -hmm. really happening. It's kind of like that Wizard of Oz. If you ever seen the Wizard mm -hmm. of Oz, mm -hmm. where behind the curtain was this wizard and but what he was just, just this little guy and he was making this big you know show happen well that's what's really happened a few people are really making it look like 
something it really isn't. Mm. And I want to bring up another point, which is interesting about what you said, because you said that we're supposed to see cattle ranching as a romantic thing. It's a beautiful thing. Farming is beautiful. It provides food for the whatever. And what I think is interesting is that that specific way of thinking illustrates one of the major causes of all this, in my opinion at least, which is the fact that we always look at everything from our point of view, mm-hmm. from the human being's yeah. point of view, because that's the only point of view from which it's romantic right. to be a rancher. Yeah. If you look at it from the animal's point of view, if you look at any of this from the animal's point of view, oh. there is no beauty in it whatsoever. None whatsoever. They just want to live their life, you know? They just want to be, you know, a cow. They want to be a goat. They want to be a horse. They want to be a chicken. Just let me be. I mean... Uh, you know, when I, now as a vegan, I think about this and I, I just, nothing gives me more satisfaction than seeing these animals be themselves. Just to be, nothing gives me more satisfaction than just to step away and just watch and observe, you know, without a need to control their movements, confine them, you know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they have to be in a coop, you know, because we don't want them to get predated at night. You know, sometimes we have to separate them, uh, you know, because we know that some of them fight and cause big problems for, for each mm. other. I mean, we have to do some things because we are a sanctuary and we're trying to cause the least harm, right, to these uh, beautiful beings. But to, to be able to watch them and just see them be themselves. The first time I saw a chicken get a, a, a dust bath, I thought, it was, I thought it was dying. I'd never <laughs> seen a chicken lay down and do all this and you know and what you know just everywhere and I was like oh my god this chicken's dying and my husband was like no Renee it's, it's a dust bath you know and I was like oh my god I've never seen such a thing to be able to see chickens do that to know where their favorite dust bath hole is you know I mean I could walk I could walk you around this whole area and I could show you where these chickens like the dust bath yeah and for me when after I went vegan, one of the major things that transformed within me was the way that I love animals. Because like I said, I always thought I loved animals. But clearly through my actions, I wasn't loving them through my actions, even though it might have been my intention somewhere. But what happened is, now that I'm vegan, the way that I love animals is I see them as individuals. Which is very yeah. different from the way that I used to see them. Because I used to be fascinated by them especially wild animals. I used to love wildlife documentaries. That's why I wanted to be a yeah. National Geographic photographer. But I used to be fascinated by them. But now I see them as, hey, what's up? I'm just an animal on this planet, and you're just an animal on this planet. Let's just hang out. And that's how I see them. And I love it because, you know, in the past, even with dogs and cats and companion animals, I would see them and I would go up on them and, and try to like just touch yeah. them because I want to touch them because I'm like, you're yeah. so cute, let me play with you. Right. And it would be all about me, 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 me. But now, the way that I see animals, I'm able to give them their space. If they don't want to hang out with me, that's fine. If they do want to hang out with me, that's fine. And I've been able to form such beautiful relationships with animals that way. Yeah, it's, 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 you're so right. I mean, uh, when people come to our tours here, I mean, I have to tell them, you know, this, you're walking into their space. Mm-hmm. Respect that they live here. Every moment of the day, if you see a chicken in front of you, you do not run towards it. You know, don't reach down and pick it up. Or try to pick it up uh, you know people always want to do that it's uh it's, it's human nature to want to dominate animals to dominate them really mm. and uh, and so I mean I, what I love to do is just like if I'm walking out here and I see chickens out 
I love to give them the, the right away. You know, the way I work with all these animals in our socializing yard is they get the right away. It's their yard. And if I'm walking up on them, I'll let them pass. Mm -hmm. There's such, it's such a beautiful shift in the consciousness, I think, of humans. When we start seeing even a chicken that we never even thought about before because they're slaughtered in the billions, you know, it's just terrible. When we see a chicken just cross the road and go and stop and allow that to happen, instead of just running right by it, scaring it to death, you know, and it flapping its wing because it's terrified, you know, just letting it, giving it the right away. Mm. So moving forward, are you personally an optimistic person? Because I've noticed a very interesting trend. There are people who, they see all this, they see the disconnect, they see the horrible way the animals are treated, and they themselves might be vegan, most of them are. And there are some people who say, this is crazy, and they're kind of in this, I hope things get better, I wish for a better world, but I don't really think things can change. But then on the other end, there are people, and this is where I stand, where I'm like, no, 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 this is gonna end. We are gonna create peace, and I'm gonna make it happen. I take responsibility, and I, I move for my vision. So how are you personally? Taking uh, responsibility for this? Or, or like, how do you, are you optimistic about the future? How do you think about, what yeah, do you think is gonna yeah, happen? Yeah, 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 I'm optimistic. Um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, being, I'm 60, you're 22, and I, it really pains me that we've left this world the way it is for your generation. And, you know, the gener this, it's really up to y'all coming up to do this, you know. What people like me need to do is step up and work our ass off to do everything we can to undo the mess we've made. You know, I look at this and I feel responsible for doing this, for leaving a world, for, for doing my part to leave a world for you to clean up. You know, the least I can do is do everything I can. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like we are going to see that world sooner than later? That's a peaceful world where animals are not exploited? You know, I think we will. I think we will see a peaceful world where animals are not exploited, but I think that we have to get on every platform we can get on. We have to be willing to get our face, our name, our words uh, out there. We have to We have to be heard. You know, we, we can't sit behind, you know, uh, our four walls depressed and doing nothing about it because we feel so horrible about what's going on in the world. I mean, there are days I don't want to get up. There are days I am scared to death. So the F what? You know, I have to put one foot in front of the other and do it anyway. It's my responsibility. So do I think it's going to happen? Yeah. But only if people like, if only if people do that. Mm. People have to get up no matter how they feel. It ain't about our feelings. You know, what I've had to learn is my feelings are not facts. I will feel scared to death one day and optimistic and ready to go the next. So I don't rely on my feelings to tell me whether I should do something. 
if I'm feeling, uh, you know, blue or sad, you know, I still get up and put a smile on my face and go do this. You know, I have to. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I'm fully on board with you because in my mind, I'm like, there's no alternative. Yeah. Like, what else are we going to do but do something about it? Like, not do something about it? That, that just makes no sense. Yeah. So I'm fully like, yeah, let's do it. And like you said, like, yeah, I think our feelings do not at all dictate who we get to be. I One of the things that I've been trying to push in the community is that sometimes we feel sad. Sometimes we feel angry. Sometimes we feel frustrated. When we face reality, especially because it's so horrible, we can feel these feelings. But me personally, in those moments, I still choose who I am. I yes. still choose to come from love. I choose it. Because yes. I believe that I can choose that in every moment and in every conversation that I have. In every, like every time that you know I'm speaking out and I might be scared or intimidated or, or whatever it is. I'm like, okay, I feel this. I acknowledge it. I'm not going to try to suppress exactly. it. Exactly. I acknowledge yeah. it. I feel it. But... I'm like, well, so what? I still choose to be who I'm committed to being. Walk through. And I'm going to create what I'm committed to creating. Yeah. Because what I've noticed for anyone who's had any success in any field is that they move from a place of vision and commitment. That's right. Not from a place of, this is how I feel. That's right. And they develop things like disciplines. One of the reasons that I put out a video on Instagram every single day and that I push myself to create content to change the world is because it's a discipline for me. And it's a good one. You're doing a great job at that. Like, whatever happens during the day, I'm going to get that done. And I'm committed to that. And it doesn't... Like, sometimes I don't feel like doing it. Like, last night when I was editing the video for today, I was so tired. It was, like, 2 in the morning. I was still at it. My computer was having all sorts of problems. My computer is... Like, my screen is all cracked now. I can barely see my screen. But at the end of the day, I have to choose whether I'm going to be a victim to that or whether I'm going to live my commitment. Exactly. And for me, I just choose to live my commitments no matter what. Exactly. And I believe that the more we have people in our community who are vision-driven or who are driven by their commitments, who tell themselves, this is what I'm going to create, this is the difference I'm going to create. I was so inspired the other day when Earthling Ed posted a, a post on Instagram and he said that between last October and this October, almost 34,000 people signed up for Challenge 22 That's incredible. through his links on his social media wow. content and I saw that and it's incredible and I what I because I read the comments of that post and what I saw a lot of people say is they're like wow that's awesome like congratulations this is so cool keep doing what you're doing and things like that which is which is all awesome and I feel the same way but the second thing that I think after I admire that is how am I gonna do that yep I asked myself that question how am I going to create this type of impact? Right. And because I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. Exactly. And if I can do it, then anyone else can do it. It's just a matter of commitment. If he can figure out a way to do it, there's no reason why I can't do the same thing. Well, you know what it is? A lot of us are so afraid to be uh, to, of our own greatness. Uh, we, we all have a uh, an ability to excel and be really great at whatever we're here to do. Uh, you know, and we always play it so small, typically. I mean, we play our lives, downplay it. You know, we are, we are amazing beings, you know. And once I went vegan, it was as if everything in me that I'd always thought I was supposed to do with my life, you know. Uh, it all just concentrated into my purpose, mm -hmm. my destiny. Mm -hmm. what I feel like I'm really here to do. And I'm not playing it small. Because that does not serve these animals. Mm -hmm. It does not serve these animal, animals for me to sit in my house behind these four walls 
you know, piddling around, crying, and, you know, watching slaughterhouse videos and getting on my computer and putting everybody else down that's doing something. You know, I need to get out there, be bold, be brave, uh, make mistakes, get out there and do it anyway. These animals' lives, our future generations, your kids depend on it. You know, we've got to. We can't play this thing small. Every one of us has a voice. And we have to find the mediums, the ways. Like when I got that call this morning to do this uh, radio show. I didn't go, well, let me think about it. I'll have to get back with you. I mean, I'm going, heck, yeah. You know, uh, a, a radio show where, you know, where they're reaching farmers. I mean, golly, it's the day before Thanksgiving and it's 8 o'clock in the morning. But I'm not sitting around going, well, you know, it's the day before Thanksgiving. You think you could call me uh, a couple of weeks later? Hell no, man. It's like, yes. You got to say yes to these things. We got to say yes. And we got, just like uh, when we went to Austin a few days ago, a couple of days ago, we just got, was it yesterday? Day before yesterday. I can't even remember. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't want to go. I didn't really want to do that gig, you know, because it's environmental outreach, you know, and, you know, and they were just like, oh, you know, about the water, you know, clean up the water. And I'm like, clean up animal ag, you know, but, you know, but we went. You know, and you went with me and you documented it. And it was, you know, we we were able to have a strong, powerful voice mm -hmm. in that reach out or whatever mm -hmm. it was. What do you call that thing? Speak out. Speak out. Yeah, reach out. We were we were able to have uh, a voice there. We were able to meet uh, one of the guys that were working with Star Love Ranch. You know, the ranch that we're working with uh, transitioning. So, wow. You know, mm -hmm. we just got, we can't be afraid. Yeah, and like you said... One of the things that I've seen in my journey, and this is a journey I've been committed to long before I got involved with veganism and vegan activism, but since being involved in vegan activism, I've really seen this play out in my life, which is the journey of becoming better as a person. If I'm going to change the world, and if I'm going to save animals, I have to grow. I have to transform. I yeah. always have to be better and better and better and better. I always have to evaluate my life, how I'm, like, how I'm doing things, who I'm being, and I, can, I have to seek... I'm going to improve and I've seen that play out in very tangible ways one of the first shifts that I've made in my mindset is that I acknowledged that I was a leader yeah I was like that's it I'm a leader done yeah and I had to do that because after I acknowledged myself as a leader and I saw like you said the greatness within me that's when I was really able to start speaking out that's when I was like you know what I'm gonna do this and that's it. Regardless of what anybody else says. Regard see, yeah. what, I had to under what I had to realize, because people will try to shoot you down. There's people that will tell you you're not great. They'll, there's people that will tell you you're a scammer. There's people that will tell you that, you know, you exploit your animals. There's people that will tell you things. But just because they say it doesn't mean it's true. You know? <laughs> I, had to, I mean, people going to say all kinds of crap. But it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. What's true is what's resonating within mm -hmm. my soul. Mm -hmm. And when I did, when I started to see what I'm really here to do, and I realized that greatness, it's not that I think I'm great. I don't think I'm great. I don't think I'm all that. But whatever's in me, whatever is motivating me to work for these animals' liberation, that's great. Whatever is inside of me, pushing me, getting me out of bed in the morning, getting me to, getting me to sleep at night, causing me to work seven days a week, whatever that is, is fucking great, okay? I'm just gonna say it just like it is. That shit's great. Me personally, a person, me, this girl, Renee, I'm not all that, you know, I make a lot of mistakes, I err, you know? 
But whatever is dri driving me is phenomenal. And I'm sticking with that vision, with that voice. And I want to hang out with people like you that understand and are, are calling on that too. I love it. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to leave this today. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate it so, so much. This was Two Rowdy Vegans. Until next time, peace. peace out.